you guys get a treat. Uh, you, get, you get to, in your own leisure, you get to listen to David Barton, who did the first two services great. Uh, but you get that. It's already in the can. You can watch it later. You get what the other services don't get. You get to hear from the youngest congressman ever elected in the United States House, Madison Coughlin. What's going on? Are you like, what, are you excited or something? Dr. Simone Gold is excited. But before we begin, I, I wanted to share with you a couple things. Uh, first of all, um, this congregation is being used across the country to awaken the nation, and all of you are remarkable. And I want to say specifically that there are a number of congregants who are putting their lives on the line right now. Their entire career is on the line. I don't know if you know this week, but one of our congregants, Dr. Rake, was just fired from UCLA because he refused to get the injection. And, uh, and that man's brave, absolutely brave and unbelievable, but it's coming at a cost. And I know some of you in here have received the injection, and, and as I've taken the survey across the country, and it's not a scientific survey, but you know what? I did work for A.C. Nielsen. I know projected data. I know how it works. And, and when I asked this question, simply I said, did you take the, how many of you took the injection because you believed in its efficacy, it, its, its ability to do what it's supposed to do, and how many of you took it because you were intimidated or you'd lose your job or you couldn't see your grandkids? The lion's share, without exception, over 90%, as I have taken the survey across the country, are people that took it because they were going to lose their job, they were afraid they couldn't see their grandkids, on and on and on. And now we've seen close to 16,000. This is, this is in the government website, the VAERS website, which is underreported probably by 90%. We've had 16,000 deaths from this, this injection. Over 300,000 hospitalized, up to 600,000 issues just pertaining to it. Now we're watching as the governor's mandating that our children be injected with this, with a virus that has a 99.7%. And for children, it's 99.9972%. And, and the only children who've died from this had severe com comorbidities, which is like leukemia and lymphoma. And, and, and we're watching as young children, 13-year-olds, are dying of myocarditis, and, and we're being told by the government that this must occur. Now, whether you're pro-vax or anti-vax is irrelevant. The issue is we're contending for liberty. So if I'm, yeah, amen. So if I'm a rancher and I have 100 cattle and I want to make them really buff and I want to, you know, hit them with some sort of an injection that's going to make them meaty, uh, and they all end up dying, they're my property. And you won't fault me for what I did with my property. What the government's telling you by forcing you to receive this injection is you're their property. They don't have that right. And we're, we're, th th this isn't the Spanish influenza. A third of the Americans aren't dying. And no matter how they mess with the data, it's amazing that influenza and every other disease has just disappeared. And, and, and listen, folks, this is the reality that we're losing liberty right now. And, and the most highly vaccinated nation in the world is Israel, and double vaccinated folks are in the hospital right now. Sweden, which didn't do any vaccinations for the most part, and didn't do lockdowns, and didn't do social distancing, they've reached herd immunity, and they're doing just fine. So, yeah. Now, now, as I say this, some of you are skeptical because you have been indoctrinated. And the reason why I say that is, I'll give you proof. The truth is never afraid of a lie. You can say whatever you want. Now, granted, you interrupt me, you're going to have to go because, the, 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 you know, get, get your own building. 
but we're going we're gonna to receive questions from people in the congregation momentarily. But I will say this. I'm not afraid of a lie. But a lie cannot survive in the presence of truth. And, and here is your proof. We have never in my lifetime, and I'm 57. I'm not the oldest, but I'm getting there. Never in my lifetime have I seen such unprecedented censorship in our nation. And not just censorship. They have to censor and, and hide and destroy people's careers if they have an alternative voice that speaks reason and deals with data. They are dismissed and they're canceled. And then they put forward the propaganda because they've silenced the truth. Why are they so afraid? And, and now we're watching entire websites being shut down. We're watching businesses being destroyed. And now... Less than a year ago, we called all of our nurses and our doctors who were contending with this virus in the hospitals. They had no vaccination. They were contending. Many of them contracted COVID, and we called them heroes. Now they have the antibodies, and they don't want to be injected with something that's killed 16,000 of our citizens. And they're called not heroes anymore. We fire them. It, it started with get a free Krispy Kreme donut. Now it's lose your job. We're watching military personnel. A third of our SEAL team forces cannot be deployed because the President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief, says if you're not vaccinated, you can't be deployed. For a virus that has a 99.7% survival rate, is that? This has nothing to do with this virus. This is control. And it's incremental. And I'll read this to you, and then I want to introduce somebody. Our, um, uh, here it is. In our congregation, we have, um, what happened to my phone? Why is it not working? Come on, please. People are looking at me. Do something. <laughs> Here we go. It's still not working. Oh, there it is. In our congregation, we are blessed to have the person I call the Charlie Kirk of the pro-life movement, Seth Gruber. Yeah. Seth and his family have chosen that they don't want to have their child injected. They don't want to be injected. And they were asked to speak at a crisis pregnancy center here in California, I won't say where, being held at a church, and it was told that you can't come unless you wear a mask. Seth was lamenting over it, and I said, Seth, go. And they won't wear, make you wear one because you're going to be speaking. And maybe say this in your speech. And <laughs> you know, I... I can't fix anything. My, my toolbox consists of yellow pages and a credit card. The only thing I can do is talk, and I've made a living doing it, and I'm really happy about that. <laughs> All right. So I kind of wrote a speech for him. Tonight I have the privilege to speak on behalf of the unborn. I'm in a room with men and women who seek to defend and protect the lives of the unborn. I see you're all in compliance with the state's mandate. And you're all wearing masks. I speak to you unmasked as you wouldn't be able to hear me otherwise. The state that has decreed this mandate is the same state that sells the body parts of the preborn and flushes the remains of these children into the sewers of our state. Romans 13 tells us that God appoints all positions of authority and that we are to submit to this authority. But it also says that these authorities are appointed for our good. And when they cease to do good, they are no longer the authority. God is the author of liberty. And 2 Corinthians 3.17 says... That the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Leviticus 25.10, which is inscribed upon our liberty bell at Independence Hall, declares, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. 
I know that the organizers of this event are good people, and they want to do the right thing. Still, however, I must confess that to contend with the evil of this state and its tyranny of death invoked upon an unborn generation and whose medical procedures rival and in some cases exceed that of Nazi Germany is why I've come tonight. Tyranny is achieved by incremental submission by good people submitting to systematic control. It is true that I cannot be heard if I were wearing a mask, but candidly, I would not be here tonight if I were directed to wear a mask. If we are to secure freedom from the tyranny of death for these children, we must ourselves stand against this tyranny of this government's attempt to muzzle and silence us. I do not seek to insult any of you, but I am called to awaken you, even if that means I will never be invited back. Why would this state lift its grip on the destruction of our children when it freely muzzles the voices of their defenders? If I am to be removed for not wearing a mask, so be it. I will go peacefully. But if we are to be victorious on behalf of these children... The battle begins with us. I invoke the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Yes. Bless you. Dr. Simone Gold, Dr. Rake, a number of these folks, some of our firefighters, our nurses, our doctors, are all losing their jobs. There's an individual in here, and I, I don't know if he's going to want to stand. I won't say his last name, but you saw him on a major news program. And he didn't do anything on January 6th, not one thing. Didn't even go into the Capitol. They took away his government job, and they indicted him, and he had done nothing. And they were trying to scare him to death. And, he, and he's got it all on the line. He's going to lose everything. He had to sell his car to defend himself. And this church stands with him. His name's Mark. Are you here, Mark? If you want to stand, go ahead. If you don't, it's okay. I know you're here, but I just don't want to put you on the spot. Everyone's looking around. I, I, I didn't ask him permission, so I'm not going to. I'll tell you what. It's not because he's afraid. It's because he's one of the most humble men I've ever met. And we're going to continue to support him. And I have to say that the folks in this church have begun to contend with their unions, and we're winning One person I will recognize, she stood in defiance of tyranny, kept her business open in Oregon, a salon. They destroyed her business, and she will not stop. And her name is Lindsey Graham. Stand up, Lindsey. She's with us. I'm so honored to have you here. And for all you firefighters, doctors, nurses, all you folks, we're, we're, and teachers, we're, we're, we're fighting for you. We're going to continue. We're not giving, giving up. And, but it really came home. Uh, this next man is one of my dearest friends, if not my dearest friend. And my kids call him Uncle Dave. Um, my son, Michael, he's my youngest. He's 19 years young. Uh, he came to me and said, Dad, how old do you have to be to get married? I said, son, if I'd met your mom at 19, I would have married her. And uh, when I met the Bondarenko family and Joseph Bondarenko spent 23 hours a day in solitary confinement by the KGB because he refused to yield. Their entire family is at a point now where they could lose their entire business because they're refusing to yield to this, and they're in the medical industry. But they know how this book ends because they've seen the last chapter, and they want it rewritten in America because if America's shut down, Bondarenko's will have no place to go, and neither will anyone else in the world. And I said, son, that's a good family, and that granddaughter over there, she is 
she's, a, she's beautiful. Go, son. Go, go talk to her. Go, go do something. You, 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 you don't get racehorses out of mules. You got to mate them up. And I'll tell you what, that boy is smart. He just proposed to Elizabeth. Yeah. These are going to be my new in-laws, the Crab Checks. Peter, Lydia, stand up. Come on, come on, come on, come on. There they are. Yeah. <laughs> Lydia is Joseph's oldest child. Peter, his father's recently passed. His mother, like my father, is struggling with some senility. The two of them had to contend in the Soviet bloc where they would, they would ridicule them and make them stand in front of the public school. Do not talk to these children. They have faced the more persecution than you can possibly imagine, and they're here because they know this church is a beacon of freedom. And I'm, I'm so honored by them. And I want us to realize that we must contend and not give up. And, and when we had this engagement party, the one man I wanted to be there, he's not blood, not from my family, not from their family, but he's our family. And as I was saying, my kids call him Uncle Dave. He's been on the fireside chat with me. David Glinky is an American Airlines pilot. He's been flying for American Airlines for almost 35 years. He was just promoted to wide body pilot, captain, not because of his, but, <laughs> but because of the plane itself. Uh, and, and usually the last five years, is he here? Come on, Mark. Can I say who you are? Mark Ibrahim, right here. Ibrahim, yeah. He blessed me. Right here. Tell him what you did with that a couple minutes. My name is Mark. Not really a big public speaker. Kind of been a quiet professional my whole life. Um, I was at January 6th as a DEA special agent, carrying my badge and gun, as was my brother. He's an FBI special agent. Um, you guys served in? We both served in Iraq together as an Army, Army officer. And uh, my brother was with me the entire time carrying his gun. Nothing happened to him. He's still a full-blown full special agent. I went on Tucker Carlson and uh, got fired. And now I'm facing 15 years in jail. Um, I just want to speak something. Just, I put a lot of people in jail, and, uh, but for me to go to jail myself, I wasn't thinking the day I self-surrendered. I was wearing a black shirt, just turned it on. And on the back it said, defend the police, and, uh, which was fine. But when they put you in general population in D.C. general uh, prison, it's kind of rough. <laughs> um, for me to go through that, I'm just going to give you a quick confession. I, Hopefully, won't go too far, but... Uh, You're with family. You do whatever you want to do. I, uh, I was really discouraged, and I was uh, really contemplating suicide, actually. To, to go to jail for 15 years when all I've ever wanted to do is serve my country quietly. Um, and I met Pastor Rob, and Pastor Rob helped me financially, and he encouraged me to fight. And honestly, your congregation saved my life. Just letting you know that. Our congregation. Thank you. 
Pastor Rob didn't know me from Adam, and uh, he kind of just saw my stories, and, and he encouraged me to fight, and he gave me courage. And, I, and then I refused to take money. I said, you know what, I'm just looking for a job. And he said, no, this, you're fighting on behalf of all of us. And so, anyways, I won't take much more time. There's much more important intelligent people speaking Stop. tonight than me. But I just wanted to let you know, like, you saved my life, Pastor. The Lord did. We love you. Bless you, Let me pray for you. Lord, all of us are scared. We all deal with that. But courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is standing in the midst of those things that we're scared of and just saying, Lord, you got to do this because I don't see a way out. And I know that Mark was at that place. But greater is he who's in Mark than he who's in the world. Lord, you're going to show yourself strong on behalf of Mark because he seeks you and he wants to do what's right. And he loves his country and he's not, he's not unwilling to do what is ever necessary, Lord. He's willing to surrender his life to you, but he wants to be assured that what he does, he does for your glory. And God, as a congregation, we stand with him. And Lord, we're going to support him every step of the way, no matter what it takes. We're not in charge of the outcome. We're in charge of being faithful. And Lord, before your throne of grace, I want to say thank you for blessing my life with this precious brother. And I thank you, Lord, for the encouragement he's been to me. And Lord, all of us together, we just have an, an absolute joy and it's a privilege to be a part of being, I should say, funding this battle on his behalf. And Lord, we pray you'd show yourself strong and that he would be victorious and give him attorneys that are pit bulls for Jesus and just rip the opponents apart. And God, let there be justice in the land. Deliver our brother who is innocent. He loves this nation. He's done what's right. And there's no reason why this tyrannical government would be abusing this patriot. And we love him, Lord. Bless him. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, man. Be blessed. All right. A great interruption. I loved it. I was getting to the point with Dave. He's going to give up a position as a wide-body pilot. He's not going to get the shot. People who I've considered heroes said, you know what? You need to just count the cost. You need to do it. And I know all of us get intimidated. Some of you have taken the shot. I, I get it. But forget what's behind. Strive for what is ahead. It's not about a shot. It's about liberty. This man's not going to take the shot. He's going to lose it all. And he has stood. And with him, because of that, have been thousands of employees at American Airlines. Take it. Bless you, man. Boy, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, I've been so proud to be part of this church and the people that have stood up. Dr. Simone, Rob has been obviously our greatest example. Matt, Barb, from uh, the restaurants that have stood up. It has been an amazing example. I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed to be part of this last two days uh, with the uh, McCoys and the Bonarinkos and being adopted. It was incredible. I wish you guys could all experience it. I hope we have some photos here soon to show. Um, I don't want to take away from the people who've already stood up in front of me. The people like Dr. Chris Rake that lost his job this last Thursday got escorted out of UCLA. He's a warrior. So please pray for their provision going forward, how they're going to find jobs. I just happen to be the next person down the chute. So pray for the pilots, the employees, the agents, the flight attendants of all the airlines that are standing up because they're next. And please pray for the courage of the next people that are coming down the line. 
that are going to be there. So we just have a little two and a half minute video. It's a great way to learn a little bit more about what the airlines are doing, but it gives some thought provoking ideas. So I hope you enjoy this. I've been an airline pilot for 18 years and now I'm facing an ultimatum, not a choice, but an ultimatum. I'm being told in order to continue my career as an airline pilot, I must be vaccinated, which really means I have to choose between putting food on the table for my family and my freedom of choice. Whether you believe in vaccination is the right thing to do or not, the situation goes far beyond health. We, the American people, have fought for freedom for 257 years. We go around the world spreading ideas of freedom and democracy. We help other countries and people fight for their freedoms while ours are being stripped away. You may think being forced to wear a mask or get a vaccination is insignificant, but when you begin to compile mandate after mandate and loss of freedom after freedom, it becomes very significant. As each thing is taken away, we face what is known as the shifting baseline syndrome. This syndrome changes our idea of a new and acceptable normal. Soon, we will not remember what it was like to have the freedoms we once did. Our children and our grandchildren will experience less freedom and they won't have the privilege or the pleasure to enjoy the same choices our parents had or that we have. If we give into these mandates and we do not stand up for our freedom of choice, we dishonor every armed service person over the last 257 years. A disservice to the people who have fought and bled for the very freedoms we enjoy. Whether you believe in vaccination or not, I'm standing up for your freedom of choice. You may support the vaccine mandates because they fall in line with your current beliefs. But if we let this happen now, there will be a day when what you're told to do will not fall in line with your beliefs. If we do not stand together and fight back in one voice, soon we could be told where to live, what job we will do, what religion to believe, and how many children we can have. Do you really want someone telling your children or your grandchildren what, when, and how they will live every minute of their lives? It's time we take a stance. It's time we fight for our freedom of choice while we still can. Join us. Visit usfreedomflyers.org. Help support our mission to protect and preserve our freedoms. All right, the long introduction, but it's time. Uh, he's the youngest elected Congress member in modern history. There was one guy who was younger and back in the 1850s, and we just need to erase that part of history because it's weird. <laughs> this guy was legitimate. I met him through my daughter Kelly before he had run for office. I said, Dad, this man was uh, appointed to one of the service academies, and, and as he was getting ready to head to the service academy, he was in a car accident, became paraplegic, lost all of that. Uh, God took a hold of his life, and she wanted him to come and speak. And then I, it never quite worked out. And then I was in Virginia, and I ran into him in a lobby, and Charlie said, do you know Madison Cawthorn? I go, yeah, I know Madison. And my daughter, we connected. We started having a great time. And he goes, I'm running for Congress. And I thought, man, you don't have a snowball's chance in hell. And, uh, <laughs> but then I saw his team and his, and his energy and his excitement, and, and he's tireless and fervent, and he, he casts a vision that people get. And he's elected, and I'm watching this young guy's elected, and he's just, he hasn't compromised, he's standing strong, and, and contending with the Speaker of the House, and all the stuff he's been doing, I'm like, 
he's 26 years old and he's, he's, he's making all these older guys and gals just look stupid because he's just, he's fervent and he's got youth and vitality. And, and you know what? He, he's in a wheelchair and he stands better than 99.9% .9 of all Americans. Welcome Madison Cawthorn, yeah! Bless you, man. Well, well, I will start off saying, I never thought I would meet a Lindsey Graham that would make me clap. That is, uh, that's surprising. <laughs> uh, so I do want to start off, uh, Mark Ibrahim, where are you? Brother, I, I will tell you, you're a patriot, what, what, what you're doing, I, I saw you went on Tucker, I saw you what you testified, I promise you, next time there's a patriot in office, and I'm very confident who that will be, if the worst is to happen, we will fight us. It will be my life mission to get you a presidential pardon. We will take care of you. Just know you have an ally. If for whatever reason the court system fails us, we will stand on your behalf. We are here for you and we have your back. And if the American people have your back, you can never fail. It's, it's incredible. So, now I'm gonna say something that's gonna shock all of you and you're, it's not gonna get an applause, but you, just let me back it up real quick. I actually believe in the separation of church and state. And now again, I hear, did you hear that inhale? Like, what, what did he just say? But if you read that in context, if you break that down, the letter that it was written in, uh, it, it makes it very clear that the separation of church and state doctrine was to ensure that governments stay out of churches, not, not that churches stay out of government. Because, I mean, I genuinely believe this, and I know all of us here, if you're here at Godspeak, if you, you come to listen to Rob McCoy, if, if, I mean, this is the freest place in all of California, uh, if, if you are here, you obviously realize that there has been a problem with the American Christian church of today. Because for so long, we've had just these, these pastors who are so focused on baptisms, which that is the first step in the process but then they completely just let laissez-faire when it comes to discipleship, completely laissez-faire when it comes to dealing with culture. I mean, you, we just heard David, David speaking earlier. If any of you were in those, either of the two early services, walking through how all of the founding, the founding generation's pastors, how they would preach sermons on the news of the day, on the headlines of the day. And so I'm here just to say, I, I believe that the problems that we see in our country, we can point to Antifa, we can point to, to the, the, the Black Lives Matter, Inc., the socialists that run that organization, the communists. Uh, we, we can point to, to the other party. But at the end of the day, I really do blame one weak-spined Republicans who said that we were going to sit on defense the entire time, and you know maybe if we bend the knee to the radicals enough times, then they'll start liking us, and we can go on MSNBC, and they'll, be, they'll give us a fair interview. That's never going to happen. <laughs> and also, I blame a lot of pastors who decided to just let culture go by the wayside and said, I'm just going to focus on my congregation. And that is what's gone wrong in America today. Because we have so many people who won because we've completely lost all of our institutions. I mean, if, it's ran, if it has a three-letter acronym or if it's RAN, I mean, you just learned this with the DEA, or if it's our educational institutions, we have realized that these places have become indoctrination camps where they're teaching people the history to hate your country. I mean, it's never been tried before to have a government to raise an entire generation to learn to hate the country that they are a part of. And I will tell you, I don't know where pastors got this idea 
that, hey, you know what, let's just, let's just focus on baptism. Let's not be involved in government. Let's not be involved in culture. Because that is not what the Bible teaches. I mean, you, you can look into the Bible at all times. You can read through it. And people who tells, tell you that, you know, well, you know, Jesus would have been a communist and, and Jesus would have practiced social distancing. Jesus went, in, Jesus went into leprosy camps and was touching people. I mean, it was the exact opposite. And when we start thinking about all, all of these people, I mean, you look at, you had Nehemiah. He was a, basically what we call today a civil engineer who rebuilt all of Jerusalem for God's glory. Uh, you had Ezra who worked in, in the temples but was still very involved in the culture of his day. Uh, you had Esther who was, had a lot of influence within the palace of the Persian Kim, Kim, Empire. And I know a lot of us are probably sitting here, yeah, well, you know what, I mean, their, their, their institutions weren't as tyrannical as, as that. I mean, you know, you look at Esther, and, and, you know, he ended up being kind of a nice guy after, after Esther kind of influenced the king in the right direction. Everything was good, because, I mean, who, who here has heard of King Ahasuerus? I literally had to write it down, because I've got, I, I always try to really actually pronounce his name, but no, none of us have ever heard of the name Ahasuerus, as it's, it's written in the Hebrew in Esther. But let me ask you all a question. If you know of a Persian king who showed up in Greece, who fought against 300 Spartans, who tried to send emissaries to say, hey, give me earth and water as a token of your submission to the state. That man's name is Xerxes. We all know him. And the, the actual marriage ceremony that happened when uh, Ahasuerus went back to Persia, it was actually coming on the tail end of the defeat in Greece, and it was Xerxes himself who was the husband of Esther. And this man is as tyrannical as, again, I mean, he literally has an army of a million slaves. This person is the most tyrannical version you could have. And so when I have Christians today tell us, oh, well, you know what, I don't want to get involved in, in, in things because, you know, the, the government's getting a little tyrannical. I don't want to lose my tax-exempt status. My friends, we were called to be salt and light. We were not called to get a tax-exempt status. It's, it's a- and so when... If any of you have your Bibles, I, I want you just just go ahead and start turning there. But we're going to be working out of uh, Esther chapter 4 today. And so if you guys get there, we, we'll, I'll bring it up later. But when we start thinking of the world that we're in, the country that we're in, and people start talking about, you know, the Bill of Rights, or when we have a president that says, oh, well, you know, the Constitution isn't really absolute. And, well, sure, maybe it's not if all 50 states agree to change something or a two-thirds majority. Uh, the idea that our culture should be defined by radicalists, should be defined by people who hate our values, because I'll tell you, I, I look into Nancy Pelosi's cold, dead eyes every single day. <laughs> and, th- and, and that is a person, that is a person who legitimately, although she purports to be a Catholic, she only has religion. She has absolutely no version of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, the things that they purport, when they, we, they just voted on a bill. We went through every single seat in the, in the House of Representatives the night before just praying that there would be weeping on the floor. And I remember sitting, uh, they've got a little cutout in one of the front rows where I backed my wheelchair in. I just remember sitting there and we voted on a bill. And it was to say that you could have an abortion basically all the way up until the day of birth. And to see the... the the lackluster enthusiasm the Democrats had and Nancy Pelosi had as she led her party to go and vote this way because to them it was just another vote. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. And then to see the weeping that was going on from the real Christians within the the movement, and there's not many, I'll tell you that. 
There are a lot of people who are Christian in name only in Washington, D.C. And to see the, the callousness that these people have when it comes to human life, I realize that these people do not worship the tenets of our, of our Christian faith or our God. And therefore, I'm telling you, these people hate everything that we believe in. And when I went to Washington, I fully expected to feel just an all-encompassing darkness in Washington, that the, that the enemy had completely won the spiritual battle there. But that's actually not what I feel, surprisingly. I feel an incredible amount of tension of spiritual forces meeting each other on Capitol Hill. And so for those people who tell you that our country's already lost and it's too far gone, I promise you it's not, but the only way we can fix this is if we all, as men and women of faith, decide to stand to fight for the next generation because it is our duty. It is... And and so if you... In in Esther chapter 4, you know, the preceding chapters, Esther had just learned of a plot that Haman, basically the hand of the king had come up with to really persecute a lot of the Jews uh, under their rule. You're reading through that, and to think, you know, this is Ahasuerus, this is Xerxes, this is the person who is the scourge of all all the Spartans. To think that this person had just come home, and that the most tyrannical of orders was about to go down. But Esther had said, you know what, this is where you have put me in. This is where you have given me the ability to have influence. And she was encouraged by her uncle to, to go get involved. And so she sent orders out to people all across the country. Uh, she called, went, went out to Mordecai. He went out and, and talked to all the Jews and instructed everyone to go on to a three-day fast. Everybody to go on to a three-day fast and start praying and going before the Lord to try and, and work on her behalf in, in the spiritual realm. Because she said, if I am to go before the king, which is out of the custom while he's uh, holding court in his chambers... If I am to go before the king, it's, it's out of custom and there's a high chance I could be killed. But she said, but if I perish, so then I perish. And I think that is just so incredible. To have a woman that knew that she was fighting for the right cause so deeply in her soul that she said, you know what, if I am going to be killed, then so be it. And her, her, her uncle tells her at that time, I think this is, this is in a chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse uh, 14, Starts talking about, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will not arise for the, for the Jews. And she said, Esther, perhaps you were born for such a time as this. And so when I start looking out at this crowd, and, and I know most of us, you know, I see a guy wearing a nine-line apparel shirt over there. You know, I got a guy in an American flag hat over here. Now, I, I, I can tell there's a lot of patriots in this room. I can tell there's a lot, that there's a lot of people who are willing to know that fighting for freedom in today's country is a worthwhile cause. But I just want to encourage all of us to have the exact same level of conviction that Esther had to say, well, if if I'm going to be killed, then so be it. I know I'm doing the right thing. Because if all of us in this room think that, you know, as soon as we take the house back in 2022, then we're going to completely save the country. And it's not going to cost us anything personally. And it's just going to be over in a couple years as soon as we win another election. You know, I'll tell you, that's how a lot of our establishment politicians who represent, you know, our side act in Washington, D.C. They, they just say, oh, you know, they've been there 15, 20 years, and the, the, the average age of, of kind of the leadership up there is, you know, close to 70 years old. And when they're there and they're just kind of talking back and forth, they say, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's just another election. It'll pass. There's always news of the day. This is not just another election. If we fail right now, I genuinely believe that we, my grandchildren will look up at me and say, Dad, well, Grandfather, what... What was freedom like? What was it like being able to just go out and say whatever you wanted to? I mean, that must have just been cowboy country. And 
I want to be able to raise a grandchild and my children and say, yeah, it is cowboy country. And I would rather have dangerous freedom than safe tyranny any day of the week. And so my, my, my encouragement for all of you here is, is to spend a lot of time in supplication and in prayer and in speaking to the Lord in searching yourself to ask yourself if you're willing to take the stand. Because this is not going to be over in just two years or in 16 months when we take the house back. This is not going to be over just once we get another good president in. I genuinely believe we are facing a generational threat that will take me the better part of my lifetime for our movement to be able to take our country back, to radically change our country where we believe in the founding tenets and the founding principles that our country was founded on. I mean, if any of you were here listening to David, to hear all of the, this, the Christian worldview, the fact that basically every single thing that was laid out in our founding documents could be backed up with a sermon that was told in the day, to realize that our country is one of the only countries in all of history that didn't just happen because one monarch fell or he was assassinated and then it was taken over by another one. No, this country was planned out. It was fought for by men and women. And when I say that it was fought for by men and women, I, I want to encourage us because I'm sure many of us in this room say, wow, we're going up against the radical left. We're going up against uh, the mainstream media. And I, let's call them the corporate media because they're anything but mainstream. Uh, we're going up against the corporate media. We're going up against all the institutions. How can we, I mean, although there's seeming, seemingly a lot of people in this room, how can we stand against all of that? But remember that back in our founding, you know, anytime I go into the Capitol Rotunda, there is all around in the 360 degrees, there is a painting, and it's about 12 feet tall, and it goes all around the rotunda. And if you look all around it, it goes all the way from, you know, when John Smith got here, and then it goes all the way down to when, you know, as a North Carolina boy, I'm very happy with where it ends, because the Wright brothers taking flight in North Carolina Beach, where, and that's where I believe America belongs, the soaring with the eagles. But when you look up there, and you go kind of to the third or fourth kind of segment of that painting, it, it shows the patriots standing against the British and the German mercenaries, and even the loyalists who existed in, in the country of the day who said, oh, you know, I, King George isn't that bad. I'd love to pay all his taxes. But to remember that when you look at that painting, I mean, you see there's probably 50 or 70 painted you know, British soldiers who are all in perfect lines and perfect uniforms all ready to decimate their enemy. And then you look at the Patriots and it's like, wow, there's maybe seven people painted there and they're, they're, they're mismatched, they're not in an organized fashion and you wonder, why, why did they paint it with so few people? But then I asked one of the historians and he explained to me that only 3% of the American population at the time actually stood up to the tyranny of the British Empire. And so when I heard that, when I realized that the greatest empire of the day came to absolutely smash and destroy any thought of freedom, and only 3% of Americans stood up to fight against it, well, let me tell you, there's a whole heck of a lot more than 3% of Americans who are willing to stand up right now. I'm telling you, as we look, as we look all throughout history, anybody who's trying to try and, and, and limit speech or, or get rid of certain books or you know, put a, a trigger warning on top of the founding documents of our country, I mean, literally, that's a thing. They've literally, on, on the National Archives, they have a little warning that pops up. You pull up either the Bill of Rights or the Constitution and says, this may offend people. There's violent language in here and so on and so forth. I mean, I'm like, are, are you kidding me? Well, yeah, there was violent language in there. We had to fight a war for your freedom. And then George Washington at that time literally said, you know what? He could, George, we could be living under uh, the Washington family rule right now. He had all the popularity in the world. He easily could have become a king. I mean, people even referred to him as your excellency. But then he said, no, no, I'm going to set a standard right now that we give power back to the people. 
And my friends, when we look right now, we look at all of these people throughout all of history who have limited speech, who have tried to limit people's congregation, who have tried to limit people's ability to gather together and to protest against the evils of our day. They are on the losing side of history. The trend is that people, freedom-loving patriots, win in the end. And I mean, you know, we've all read the end of the book. We've all read Revelation. And of course, that means it's going to get really bad at some point. Uh, We may be living in those times. Who knows? But I'll tell you, the end of the book means that we win. It really, really does. And so I want to encourage all of you, one, not because I'm asking you to do something that I wouldn't do myself. But it is time for the American Christian church to say, I don't care about my tax-exempt status. And if there's a CFO in the room, I know he's freaking out right now. But I I don't care about my tax-exempt status because if I do not stand up right now and use the strength and the will that God has indwelled within me, and we all have the Holy Spirit in us, to stand for the freedom of the next generation because we want a little momentary safety, let me tell you, my friends, we don't deserve any of it. We truly do not. And so we're going to have to resolve ourselves that we're going to have to lose some friends Some of us may lose our jobs. We're going to have to be ridiculed by people who say that, you know, that, that, I mean, if anyone, I I would ask you to raise your hand, but I know it's 100% of the room. But I ask you to raise your hand if you've ever read an attack article against me saying that I like to kidnap puppies or something. Uh, But I, I am telling you, Every time they write one of these attack articles against me that's filled with lies and slander, I know Charlie Kirk feels the same way. Also, Charlie told me to tell everyone in this congregation, thank you from the bottom of his heart. He loves God speak very much, and he thinks you guys are all incredible, and I'm going to pass on. You're, you're, he's incredible. But you know, if, you look, if you look at mine or Charlie's Wikipedia page, I mean, it literally looks like somebody who just hates everything we believe in wrote it. And, and if, so you read that, but every time I see one of these attack articles come at us, I, I just envision that as an arrow I get to take on behalf of the American people. And let me tell you, I don't know if you all are from around here, but if your member of Congress or the person that you have elected representing you isn't introduced at the beginning of articles as, uh, as somebody who, who's going against the flow or as the, the controversial Madison Cawthorn or the controversial Charlie Kirk, I have noticed that everybody that I look up to and respect has that word controversial in front of them. It's, it's, it's kind of like a code where like, hey, this person's a patriot and a Christian and he wants a family. Because I, it, it's crazy. To, to be a rebel in today's society, all you have to do is to want to be to come to church on Sundays, tithe, rate, get married early, and have a family. And then you're just the most radical person these people could ever imagine. And so I I am telling you, I I am willing to put myself on the line and have my reputation drugged through the dirt and and to be slandered about and lied. And I know even my parents have to face the brunt of it. My family, all of them have to face the brunt of it. Uh, Fortunately, my wife has much thicker skin than I do. And so the the only problem is, I'll tell you, the, the, the radicals really messed up when they started going after the children. Because in this movement of patriots who are fighting for freedom right now, you know, I'll tell you, Charlie Kirk's got a spine of steel. Rob McCoy's doing great. Bryce, you're awesome. We all believe very fervently that we need to stand up and fight for our rights and fight for our country. But man, the moms and the grandmothers that are pissed off now. Let me tell you, I, I, I have personally never seen someone more ferociously go after the, the lies and, 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 and the, the miscounts of the radical left because whenever somebody comes up and starts yelling at me, I'm like, oh gosh, get Christina out of here. Because she just jumps over me. She's this little Puerto Rican woman. And, she's like, oh, and she starts speaking Spanish at them. They start running away. It, it's fantastic. Uh, but, 
but she's got much thicker skin than me, thankfully. But, uh, but I, I'll tell you, we are going to have, we will lose some of our comforts and some of the, of the things that we know. But when I look out at this crowd, I realize that just like Esther's uncle told her, we all were born for such a time as this. And I just went over and spoke to the youth group for just a little bit, and you know, I asked them if anybody was born past 2010, none of them were. And so that means that we were all within Generation Z, because I'm the first year of it, it goes for 15 years, 1995. And I'm just so thankful whenever I meet people in my generation, because I'm like, wow, God must truly trust us must truly trust everyone in this room. If he put us on this earth at this time, when tyranny is going on on a global scale, when you see what's going on in Australia and New Zealand, you realize that if we don't stop the trend right now, then that will be coming in America. They will have stormtroopers. They, they, they basically, I mean, I'm telling you, they are literally having to hire private security firms to come into Australia because a lot of the Australian police aren't wanting to you know, go beat their neighbor's head in because they wanted to go, you know, go to the beach. But, and so they're bringing in these outside groups to try and enforce their tyrannical rules. And if we allow that to happen in America today, then when we see our children being raised without the freedom of speech or without the freedom of the Second Amendment, without the ability to, to have you know, uh, a law against un, un, unlawful search and seizure... Uh, to be able to have a, a timely court uh, appearance and to be able to be tried by your peers, we will look at them and know that they don't have any of those rights and we will know that it's our fault. But my friends, God has put us all here so that must mean that he trusts us to be able to rely on him and to be his hands and feet in this time of tyranny. Because my friends, when I look out at this crowd, I realize how honored we are that we will have our names in the books of history as the generation who stood up when tyranny tried to come. I mean, Ronald Reagan warned about this. Right when the, you know, one of my favorite statues in all of, all, all of the Capitol is Ronald Reagan's statue. Because when when, whenever I roll up to it and walk up to it, I start showing everybody the statue. And almost all the statues there are made out of bronze and are on top of a marble frame, a marble little pedestal. And his is the exact same way, except there's these little chunks of rock, a layer that he's standing on. And that's, that's what, his, what his statue's built upon. I'm like, why, why, why is this not finished? Why is it kind of rubble? And my friends, it is the pieces of the Berlin Wall because he so soundly defeated communism in his time that his peers said, we need to have him standing upon his enemies. But he gave a very grave warning in one of his final addresses uh, where he said that if communism was to ever come to our shores, it will can't come in the name of liberalism. And that is exactly what is happening because these people are starting to use the English lexicon and the English language. And they will use whatever words they need to. And I'm sure that if you're called a racist, if you're called a bigot, or if somebody says that you're, you're, you're some kind of phobe, kind of I think I was called fat phobic recently, which that's, that's a new one. Somebody called me ableist, which I didn't even know a guy in a wheelchair could be ableist. But, it's, <laughs> but again, these people attack you. And for most of us in this room, being Christians, we, we have a high value on the power of words because, I mean, that's the way that God decided to, to truly communicate with us. And I think that's why we all value it so heavily. And so when we're called these things, it's like a punch to the gut. And we, we, we want to stop and say, no, 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 that's, that's not me. I don't believe any of these things. But I have found that the radical left will say whatever they can to try and shut you up. They will say whatever they can. Whenever you are receiving flack and hate from the enemy, just know that means that you are right above the target. Yes. 
And so I, I, I'm going to wrap up pretty soon. I would like to be able to just take your guys' questions because I, I know that if you wanted to, you know, just listen to a politician speak the whole time, uh, you could just turn on CNN or Fox News. Um, but I, I want to be able to take some of your questions directly. But I, I want to leave you with a, a, a closing sentiment. And it's one that I have seen the radical left. I work with them every single day. I have seen the socialists. You know, I, I passed AOC in the hallway one time. And I can always tell because the, the Capitol's all made out of marble floors. And so I can fly in a wheelchair. It's great. <laughs> and so I pass people all the time. And I kind of know who to say hi to and who not to because their mask is all the way up to their eyeballs. And there's like seven of them on. I'm like, okay, this person hates me. Um, so I'm not going to say hi. So I'm rolling past this, this, this hallway, and then all of a sudden I see somebody with a mask on, and, and then it's like, oh, hey, I know you. And I turn around, and go, oh, oh, that's AOC. And then something that I've heard a lot of people say in Washington, and I found it to be true myself, is that she then started to say, oh, well, you know what? You know, the, the way that you know, we have to portray ourselves on media and on social media, you know, that's kind of more just a job. I'm actually, I, I'm actually a pretty good person to get along with. So anyways, I hope we get to talk to you later. And you know, I just kind of was about to say, oh, yeah, and then I kind of stopped myself. And one, I looked and said, hey, do you want to come to my district and debate me? Literally any time. You can wake me up in the middle of the night and we'll debate any time. Um, but, but she said no, of course. Um, <laughs> but then I kind of looked back and, and, I, and I look at her and it, I, just, I just had this urge to tell her that, yes, that might be a facade you might put on to have this ultra-woke mentality and this ultra-socialist mentality, but you are leading my generation to their deaths and away from their liberties by lying to the American people. So I don't care what you're like behind closed doors because what you do out in public is a direct affront to my, my liberties and my rights and the things that I believe in. And I, I will tell you, once I said that, you know, I've never had somebody of the squad ever come up and try and get drinks with me ever again. Um, but but I, I will tell you, the closing thought that I want to leave with all of us is that we are f about to face very dark days in this coming decade, I genuinely believe. And, you know, I, I was attacked recently as, as Madison Cawthorn's trying to incite uh, Christian values in government. He wants God to be in government and blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm like, is this an attack ad? Yeah, this is exactly what I believe. <laughs> but, 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 but I'm telling you, it, when I start seeing either the, the, the positive ad campaigns for the other side or I start seeing the attack ads against us, I realize that the middle ground is quickly evaporating. And you know, when I travel all around this country, I, I find that the overwhelming majority of people agree on 80% of the issues. But the career bureaucrats and the career politicians in, in the corporate media, they try and thrive on division and profit on division. And it's evil and wrong. But the, and I'm telling you, if you ever wanted to think the pandemic was over, just turn off the TV and then all of a sudden you, it would be gone. Um, but but I, I am telling you, these people are trying to sow discourse and diversity and, and anger and they're trying to separate all of us by our race, by our, by, our, by our skin color, by our religion, by our political affiliation, by our socioeconomic class. And let me ask you, as if I say the plan of the enemy is to divide and... Exactly. We all know this. And so when you see what's going on on the media, when they're trying to divide our entire country, just know that means they are planning on conquering us. And just as Xerxes was trying to conquer the entire known world, to have every single inch of the planet under his control, this is the exact same game plan the tyrants have. This is the exact same thing that they want to do. And so just as Esther was encouraged by her uncle to try and have some form of influence on the government of their day. I believe it is time for the Christian American church 
to step up out of the shadows just like God Speak Church has, to fight for the next generation, to speak truth boldly and with love in our hearts because we realize that if we don't do it now, then the Christian American church as we know it will be forever gone. Our country is responsible for sending more missionaries out than any other country in the history of the world. And that's something we should be incredibly thankful for. But if we allow the tyrants to get their day, they're not going to try and shut down churches as I thought was their main game plan for a long time, that they wanted to get rid of all churches. No, no, they want to get rid of pastors like Rob McCoy. They want to get rid of pastors who come out and preach the inerrant truth of God. But they would love to have this, this you know, exclusive third party with a higher, higher power rubber stamp be able to come in and say, oh yeah, well the reason we need to institute socialism is because in Genesis 9-4, and they'll just try and, and word speak you all around, and they'll try and tell you, if you don't believe this, then you're actually evil and you're against God's, God's will. And my friends, I'm telling you, if you see somebody who's going to a, one of these woke congregations, it's time for us to be bold. It's time for us to be willing to lose some friends and to have a difficult conversation to say, it is time for us all to stand up, to go out and speak just as Jesus Christ did. Because, you know, whenever somebody tells me, oh, well, you know, I, I had some, some random socialist in, uh, who's an elected member of Congress yelling at me, well, you need to go to church, and what would Jesus do? And I felt like turning around and saying, well, I mean, flipping tables and hitting people with whips is on the table. I, I mean, you know... <laughs> Showing up, sh- showing up with an army at your back. With, with, I mean, if, Jesus is going to have a tattoo on his freaking thigh, just like Lindsay here, with a tattoo on his thigh, ready for battle, ready to fight for the freedom to bring his people home. And my friends, when we think that we serve a God who is weak, no, 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 we serve a God who is meek. And I'm telling you, we should all, and this is a, a great quote from Jordan Peterson, a guy I really look up to where he starts talking about, you know, that our culture today is trying to completely demasculate all of the young men in our culture. I mean, you, you can look at the testosterone levels in young men today, and they are lower than throughout all of history. And there's a lot of reasons for this that we can get into later. But my friends, they're trying to demasculate the young men in this country because they don't want people who are going to stand up. And so I'm telling you, all of you moms here, the people who I said were the most vicious in our, uh, in our movement, if you are raising a young man... Please raise them to be a monster. Raise, raise them to be a freedom-loving patriot who says that they, they thrive within competition, that they want to stand up and be as strong as they possibly can. They want to look down at their hands filled with calluses and, and know that it is their duty to try and protect their family from the evils of this world. And to the, to, to the women in the room, you know, I'll tell you, I was raised by probably the most, I, I have the greatest mom in all of history. And I, I'll tell you, you know, Mary might contest and Jesus might have something to say about that. But Priscilla Cawthorn, I think, will win out. And if there's a Catholic in here, they're like, oh my gosh, Mother Mary, full of grace. And, uh, but but I, I will tell you, you know, one of the greatest things that I love so much about, uh, about our culture is that we give value to every single person. And I think the young women and the young men in this room, especially the ones in my generation, when I look at you, I am filled with pride because I know that God chose each and every one of us to fight this battle for the next generation. And sure, it might not be fair that it fell upon our shoulders, but instead of of praying for for easier times and easier days, let us all just pray for broader shoulders, that we may shoulder this effort and we may save this nation because it is up to us, because every single one of us in this room were born for such a time as this.
outstanding. It's so good. So good. So we're going to, uh, we got a few minutes. We can take it at 2.30. Okay. Uh, we always. Wow, we went a long ways. <laughs> we. <laughs> I like how that comes in. No, actually, it, excellent. Uh, and they're used to going long. The longest service ever is third service in the history of the church when uh, Dr. Mark Little spoke. Crazy, long. Let me tell you, being in between a people and their lunch is a very dangerous place. They've already eaten. Oh, you've already eaten? Okay, we're good. Yeah, yeah, they've already eaten. And they bring snacks, too. It's really crazy. <laughs> So we had some questions up here, um, and, and I, before we begin on the questions, I do want to say this, and this is one of my frustrations, having run four campaigns, winning, winning three of the four, and then holding office, it's fascinating how everybody has an opinion on how you're supposed to do it. They, they didn't run, they didn't get elected, but they have an opinion on how you're supposed to do it, and I understand that because you've governed by their consent, but they come up with conclusions and they come after you for things they don't fully know or understand the nuance of. And they're doing their best. Thank God that they're involved in, a, in some capacity. And oftentimes when you enlighten them as to the entire process and what you're dealing with, they, they tend to accept that. But sometimes uh, they get fed information by folks who are profiting from it. Uh, one in particular is the gun lobby. Mm. Uh, and, and you would think you're one of the strongest guys in the House on the Second Amendment. And there are a lot of folks who think, you know... He, uh, he wavered on the red flag laws on the NDAA. Mm. And I, wanna, I, I, I imagine that's going to be one of the questions because somebody said, well, I'm not coming on Sunday. I don't know who it was, but they said they weren't coming because they heard about that. And I thought, where do they get this stuff? It's just insane. They don't even know how the NDAA works and how it has to go back to the Senate. You better remove the... Anyways, that, I know that's going to be one of the questions. So just be ready for that. And folks, you're going to get to see the nuance well, let, of this. Let me just... I'll just answer it. Take it. it right All away. right, run with it, man. So I... I I was attacked recently to, by saying that we voted in favor of red flag laws. And I said, when did we vote to put red flag laws into, into law? And I mean, I, I, I was just furious. That there's no chance I would have done that. And then I realized then that there were, there were two gun, gun organizations and there were a few people who, uh, Republican members of Congress who had voted to certify the election in Texas who started attacking members saying that they voted for red flag laws because I think they wanted to build up their conservative credibility. And I just, I, I looked at him and I said, man, you are just so intellectually dishonest. Because the thing is, so the, within the NDAA, it stands for the National Defense Authorization Act. It's something that's passed every single year and it's voted on to go into law in December and it will fund the military and all those operations in 2022. It's, it's not like a typical bill that would come before the House. I mean, no, yeah, no. Totally so normally, I, everybody, you know, if you've ever seen that little cartoon of this thing saying, I'm a bill, I'm a bill, I'm a bill, uh, we all know that first, you know, a, a, a a piece of legislation starts out in committee, it's introduced, it then goes to the committee of jurisdiction, whether it's, you know, if it's, if it's about mining, it'll go to natural resources, if it's about the VA, it'll go to my committee for veterans affairs. Uh, and if that's the case, then it goes through committee, then it's voted on the House floor, then it goes to vote on the Senate, and then it's sent to the president's desk, and then he signs it or not signs it. Although I'm not sure if our president would be able to pick up the pen, who knows. Um, <laughs> But I, I will tell you, so the, the NDAA is a lot different because, you know, you have a Senate Armed Services Committee and you have a House Armed Services Committee. And so the, we had this vote, and I re started finally realizing what these people were talking about. We had a vote on the National Defense Authorization Act. It was a procedural vote to move this bill from our committee over to the Senate committee, just so that the, and then we're going to have a joint committee between the two committees. So it works unlike any other bill, basically, that goes through the House. And so the House Armed Services and the Senate Armed Services Committee were going to come together, and then they'll change it, mock up and change this bill very drastically and heavily. 
And then it comes back to the House, whatever the final version of the bill is, and we vote on it for what we call final passage in December to go into law. And then if it passes the House and passes the Senate, then it goes to the President's desk, and then we all of a sudden can vote, uh, we, we can fund the military. And so there were a lot of big wins in this bill, and there was a lot of bad things in this bill, but it, it, it's difficult to really get into the weeds with it because it's going to change so much before December because it's going to have months of, months of deliberation. So one of the great things that we have in this bill, one of, our, one of the amendments we supported, was that we are going to forbid the military from being able to give, issue a dishonorable discharge to anyone who refuses the vaccine, which that is something I felt very passionately about. But then, uh, I, I think it was section 529 on like the 300th page of 1,400 pages. I don't know who writes these bills. I really don't. Because the, the bills my office write, I mean, Luke, what are they, like six pages. And so I don't know who writes these bills. They literally, I think they just sit there and hit the, all the keys. Um, <laughs> but, but anyways, but so on, on, on the 300th or something page in section 529, there's this, this thing which basically, you know, boils down to what are red flag laws. And for those of you who are unaware, Red flag laws are, it's about the Second Amendment, and it's to where, you know, somebody who knows a person, whether it's a teacher, a doctor, a girlfriend, or whatever, can even be an ex-girlfriend, or ex-boyfriend, or it can be a neighbor, whatever it is. They can go to a court and they can say, hey, I think this person is planning on shooting up a school, or this person is planning on committing suicide, and then they can pass the thing. They can come and seize your weapons from your home, and you can't fight back, or else you're, you're, you're fighting against it. It's, it's, it's evil. And so I am an incredibly strong opponent of red flag laws. And the reason being is because all of us in this room who have been alive through 2020 realize that this will be weaponized to disarm the American populace so they can do in Australia here, and that, that's, that, that's their plan. And so, anyways, but there, there are these people who are being intellectually dishonest who are trying to boost up their fundraising numbers by, because, you know, everybody believes in what we call clickbait. And so, you know, literally, I think my, um, where's my phone? We, all, we sell these stickers. This is a sticker of me. And you see I've got a, a 338 Lapua with an, a, an M9 on my chest. I love guns. I'm a big proponent of the Second Amendment. And I, I, I will tell you, but... So these people come out and they say, Madison Cawthorn supports red flag laws. And so most people know I'm the strongest advocate for the Second Amendment. And so then that's going to make everybody click on the thing. It's like, if you want to stop him, donate now. And it's, it's all this big pressure campaign to try and bring in donations and profiteer off it. But I would like to tell every single one of you in this room, that is a lie. And anybody who's trying to peddle that lie is either trying to, get, uh, trying to make up for the fact that they thought the election was completely fair and honest and the efficacy of it was great, or it's just some gun, gun rights organization who's trying to take your money and, and grift off of you, and it's, it's, it's a lie. Uh, but I support the Second Amendment, and every single person in this room, like I said, we should be meek which means that we have perfect power under perfect control. Yes, you know, I, I, I was wearing a shirt yesterday that said, I am the militia. Because when it, when it says a well-regulated militia being necessary for the defense of, the, of, 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 our, of our republic and a free people, when we start hearing all of this, we realize that we are the militia. It is our duty to be able to tell the government, no, no, if you want to become tyrannical, if you want to st step across the line to break our social contract of the consent of the governed, right. then you will be stopped. And that's what the Second Amendment was written for. It protects the first. Right. And so, yeah. For grouping questions. So the first one is, what type of background, what type of experience? There's a lot of people have asked questions. How do I get involved in local politics? Or how, what was the schooling background? What experience do you need to go forward? So uh, I was actually homeschooled all the way through. Uh, yeah, oh, that's a great response. I, 
I will tell you, I, I, think, I think I was really greatly spared by my mother, and it was a huge sacrifice for her to, you know, homeschool a child. I don't know what it is, but she looks back, and now she's like, yeah, my son's a member of Congress. Your son's a raging liberal. I think I made the right choice. Um, and so, uh, and so I, I'm a big proponent of that. So I didn't go to any traditional schooling. I went and did a year of college, and uh, m- my best friend and I, we were talking afterwards, and we were signing up for the next, ne- next year, and we just kind of realized... Did you, you want to run your own business? I want to run my own business. We're never going to have to sit through an interview. I mean, it was cool going through the history classes, but what did we actually learn? Why did we just pay $30,000? And then we realized, okay, this is kind of all just a pyramid scheme. And uh, I, 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 so I, I'm telling you, you know, my wife is a physician's assistant in anesthesia. And so she's phenomenal. She does an incredible job. And then, um, you know, I've got lawyers on my staff. And I want all those people to go to to college. I think that if you want to be an engineer, you need to go to college. But if you're going to college to try and figure yourself out. That's expensive. That's expensive. I mean, let me be dead serious with you. I mean, if you're 18 years old and you're about to go spend $30,000 for a year of education, I I would ask your parents, instead of sending me to college for a year for $30,000, why don't you give me a gap year and let me travel the whole world for $30,000? You will be so much more well-rounded. You will learn so much more about yourself and about the world that we live in. And you will love the rights that you have in America so much more if you do that than if you go to some radical indoctrination place. But Wait, wait, you got any kids? No, not yet. If any of you want to send a message to Christine and say you should have kids now, feel free. I wasn't setting you up or to her, so I don't want to get in trouble for this. I'm a dad, and you, you, you left one part out. I'm not giving my son $30,000 to go on a <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll save the 30000 and you go work for a year and find yourself out, and, and, and then you won't have any debt. Because, um, you know, they come to you and they go, you know, I really want to find myself in travel. Good. Raise the money and go get the money to travel. <laughs> Uh, and, and, but you want to spend 30 grand because you want, you, you want that, that, that university's name on your bumper sticker. My kid goes to, it's not about you. And you're, you're sending them to universities with money you don't have to get degrees that are worthless. Ethiopian, and, and, Ethiopian lesbian um, literature is actually yeah. very profitable. There's, yeah. a, there's a great, great third, work. third century poetic third century, literature. Yeah. And, and, and then they go out with this degree that doesn't matter to find jobs that don't exist. But you said my, my child goes to. And, and then you, you, you work hard in capitalism and you build these businesses and you buy buildings for these universities and they go into the endowments and they're, they're, they're indoctrinating your children. Just stop it. Just stop funding these stupid schools and start investing in other capacities for your kids. Amen? Let, let me touch one more thing on that. Yeah. So uh, one more thing I want, want to touch on with that is, you know, I, I have several friends who went to a four-year degree university. Anyways, I'll get back to your question in half a second. I apologize. But uh, I have several friends who got a four-year degree university, and now they are hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt or $80,000 yeah. in debt. And, and these people are now going out, and then they're, they're renters, and they're, they're trying to make their way through the world. And, and, but the problem is, is that the left, because we are trying to subsidize higher education loans, they're going to continue to raise the price because they know you'll keep paying for it. Uh, and now what that has done is it's created an entire generation of renters. And they're trying to, to because of third-wave feminism, they're pressuring people to get married later and have children later. Yeah. And if you think about it, these people don't own any property or land in America. 
They don't have any children. So why should they care about the debt? Why should they care about what's going to happen in the next generation? They don't have any children. And this is why there's so much easier to be able to be, in, to be, able to be sheeped around yeah. to say, hey, you know what? Well, I'm just going to – I would like to just get a check in the mail because I'm not thinking about the future. Uh, but to get back to your point, in Federalist Paper 52 and 53, written by James Madison and Alexander Hamilton, they start talking about the really exactly what is required to be able to get into Congress. And so if you guys understand, you know, basically I ran a business for about two years. Uh, I, I went to one year of college, and I, I actually died before I graduated. I was in a terrible car accident. And then so, yeah, I got, I got my, uh, my GED. And it, it, so anyway, so th- those are my, the qualifications I have. I don't have any letters after my name. He's not a ghost. He, they brought him back to they, life. They brought him back to life in that thing. Yes. Sorry, I should have covered Sorry. that. My bad. Uh, <laughs> why do you think I'm talking about spiritual warfare so much? I mean, you know, but, uh, but, but to get, get back to my point, so basically, in the Federalist Papers, they talk about why they made the, the, the requirements to be able to be in the U.S. House of Representatives so low. I mean, basically, you have, you have to be a U.S. citizen, and you have to live in the state that you are going to represent, not even in your district, just in the state, which I think is really weird. Uh, and then three, you have to be 25 years old. And so I, I, was, I started my election when I was 24. I barely just slid across the line, turned 25 right before I got elected, so it worked out really well. Uh, but the reason they wanted to make the bar of requirements so low to be able to get in is because they wanted the House of Representatives to be the most indicative and the most closely aligned with the American people. Yeah. And so when I tell you that the, all, all of the leadership in Washington, D.C.'s average age is about 70 years old, that leaves almost every single person in this room out. And now I think that the 70-year-olds need to have some kind of presence there. But I think also our young, younger generations need to be more heavily involved in politics. And so anybody who wants to run, if you're 25 years old, contact us. We'll help you. We really believe in it. I need reinforcements. Just a heads the, up. the area of the nation that eats more banana pudding than any other city is in Washington, D.C. <laughs> go. Yeah. go ahead. What do you got? Uh, uh, what is your hopes for the midterms, and what is your hope for the next presidential election? <laughs> well, I like that second one. Madison, we're going to win so big. It's going to be hard. So, uh, But I'll tell you, um, for the midterm elections, I'm hoping we pick up at least 40 seats. But I'm telling you, the way that they are governing right now, I think we're going to pick up a whole lot more than that. And and since we we have so many states that are under Republican control, if you have any friends that are in a state legislature that is under Republican control in the 39 states that we do control and you're not telling them every single day, what are you doing for elections integrity? What are you doing for election integrity? Yeah, that's not what a federal issue. Integrity? That's a state issue. That's a state yeah, issue. Yeah. And because trust me, you do not want Nancy Pelosi anywhere close to election laws because she will figure out a way to be immortal and stay in she'll office just, forever. She'll turn it into California. Yep. It's, it's, yeah, so. Wait, that's where we are. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me say something. You and I uh, have, and this is the beauty of uh, endeavoring to keep the unity of spirit and the bond of peace and, and civility but you and I have endorsed separate candidates in the Washington congressional seat. You have Joe Kent. Um, Do you have Jamie Herrera? I'm going for Heidi St. John. Oh. oh. And, and I, no, and, and I. <laughs> I, was, I, no, I was like, I gotta go. No. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm looking at, these are two good candidates. One is a gold star husband. He lost his wife in Afghanistan and he's endorsed by Trump. And then I'm looking at Heidi St. John and I'm thinking, dude, why'd you endorse this guy when you could endorse Heidi St. John? And yet, that's the way it works, because the primary is to see the cream rise to the top, and then you pick it. And you're supposed to be unified when you go forward. Absolutely. And, and we, we do it in civility. And, 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 and we're probably aligned in far more than most people are. 
but yet we disagree in that capacity. That's the beauty of America. Yeah. The beauty of America, yeah. How do you stand strong in your battle in D.C. working with the rhinos that work, that wrong us more than the other side? Does anyone ever uh, We'll take call that and one more question after this because, okay. yeah. I'll look for a good one. The, yeah, how do you deal with the rhinos? <laughs> um, so, so basically there is a rule. And explain rhino for people that. So rhino, you remove the H-R-I-N-O and it's, it's an acronym for Republican in name only. Um, and so basically what that means is people who are in Washington, D.C., who ran as conservatives, who ran as Republicans, but they're really just that name only. They're part of the uniparty. You think George Bush and Obama, they ran on completely different platforms, but basically all their decisions are the exact same. Uh, and there, there is just this party in Washington, D.C. where, you know, they just controlled opposition on either side. Yeah. And they all just want to stay in power for 25 years and see their name in the paper every other weekend. And it, it's insane. Um, but the biggest, the biggest, so I, I'm actually, a, we've caused a bit of a stir on Capitol Hill um, because a lot of these people require to get their, their fundraising dollars from these really big mega donors or from, from the national party or whatever. And so basically the rule is, hey, you know, just, you know, you got to play within the lines that we set, the rules that we set. And so basically it, you can't go out and primary other Republicans and you, you, you can't fight against them. You know, we're all on the same side here. It's a team sport. Uh, but fortunately, I, I am supported by about guys who give five between five and fifteen dollars. I think my average donation is twenty-two dollars. Um, we're one of the greatest fundraising forces in all of Congress, and so I don't have a guy who's giving me twenty-two dollars who is calling and saying, "You're going to have to play within my rules, buddy, or you're not you're not doing it." Let me let me um, jump in there. Yeah, when I when I saw you in the lobby in in Virginia, and you were considering running for office, and Charlie took you aside and he said, "Stay away from from that side of it. The money's going to be easy to get." but money speaks, it's just a matter of when. And you don't want to be owned by that. And, and you took that advice to mm. heart and you have stayed true to that. And that blesses me more than you know. I'm proud of you, man. Absolutely. And so we, we have, we get approached by leadership all the time. They're like, hey, so I saw you're getting involved in this race. And can I tell you about this incumbent candidate? He's such a great Christian. And because I, I think they always try to come to me with a Christian card. Yeah. And it's like, well, okay. Well, they, they voted to either impeach our president for the January 6th commission, which is basically, which is they're using as the tool to start putting capital police units in all the major cities all across the country, which is another step to federalize the police force. And trust me, you do not want a police force that is under the command of Nancy Pelosi. You don't want that. Um, and so really, I mean, whether it's Adam, I don't want a federal police force under the command of anybody. I, yeah, amen, yeah, amen. Yeah. I mean, if you have these alphabet boys, ATF, FBI, whatever, these people show up and they try to intimidate you. If you go and speak at a school board and now the FBI is calling you a domestic terrorist, they're saying you're Al-Qaeda, they're saying you're the Unabomber. I mean, it's insane what they're doing. And the reason that they're able to get away with it is because they don't fear Republicans. No. Because they know that Republicans aren't going to use the power of their office. But I'll tell you, I was elected to go to Washington, D.C. to kick the system on its side and to give the power back to the people. And so, with the question of how do I handle all the rhinos, well, I, basically I say, you know, if, if you continue to, to backstab the American people, I will come to your district and I will beat you, and you will lose. And, and I'm telling you, we have some incredible America First candidates who yeah. are popping up all over the country, and it's gonna be a really good year in 2022. Right. Last one. Last one. What do you see as the biggest threat topic to Congress? And I'm gonna add the one that we always ask. What is the way that we can pray for you going forward to help? What you was out? the first part of that? What is the biggest threat slash topic in Congress that you see right now, and how can we pray for you going forward? 
Our biggest threat is government overreach, and it's plain and simple. And and unfortunately, with the way our Constitution works, you have to have 51% of the vote in the House of Representatives to really be able to affect any form of change. And so the biggest threat is is that these people become so emboldened, and they they have no sense of fear of of accountability to the American people, that they overstep in a way that is just mind-boggling, that forces, kinetic forces to meet each other. Uh, out in the field. And that's something we never want to do. So the biggest threat is, is to try and stop this tyrannical government overreach in the halls of Congress through deliberation, through debate, and through the laws of our land. And that's what, that's what we have to get done immediately. Uh, but the biggest topic that's probably brought up in, in Congress every single day, I mean, it, again, it, it's really just it's the overreach of the other party. And it's, it's the, the jelly spineness of so many people in our, in our, uh, in our party. Because, you know, I, I always say my, my backbone's made out of titanium. Which is great. So I always sit up, have great posture. I love it. Um, but uh, but but I will tell you, so many people on our side of the aisle that they, they just sit back. And this is something that uh, Charlie and I talk about a lot. Is we want to encourage Republicans to use the power of their office. I mean, Republican governors. We're starting. To, I just gave a speech calling for this on the House floor about three weeks ago. Now we've seen ten Republican governors coming together, and who knows what was going to come out of that. Um, but these radical cities all over the country, whether it's Portland, whether it's Seattle, whatever it is. These places, they completely have disregard for any form of federal law or whatever whenever it comes to, they create sanctuary cities where they say, oh, we're not going to deport anybody even though it's the federal prerogative to go in and do that. Well, right now that we have an invasion going on on our southern border, and I'll tell you, when I call it invasion, you know, the the mainstream media wants to paint it as if we're xenophobic. I mean, I I, I worship a Middle Eastern dude, and I'm married to a Puerto Rican, so obviously I'm not xenophobic. Um, But... But the problem is, the reason I believe we have got to have a secure border is because there are paramilitary operations in the form of cartels going on on our southern border, about four of them that really operate our southern border. They do billions of dollars of revenue in the drug trade and fentanyl trade every single year. Uh, They can move more bodies than you can possibly imagine. They can get thousands of people across our border whenever they want. And now that we have a terrorist safe haven in Afghanistan because of this botched withdrawal, you can bet some of these, some Al-Qaeda, or ISIS-K, whatever it is, they are going to be calling these, these cartels saying, hey, can you get you know, some of my friends in because we'd yeah. like to destroy some more towers. And so I, I will tell you, uh, the biggest threat we're facing right now, the biggest threat we have is if we elect a batch of Republicans in this next election who continue to just sit back and say, well, we don't want to rock the boat too much. The problem is they've already flipped the boat. And if we don't start fighting as hard as we possibly can, we're all going to drown. And so it's time for us to get fighting. Good word. How can we pray for you? Biggest thing to pray for, I mean, obviously, you know, Capitol Hill's on a hill, and so it's really hard to roll up. Um, So you have marble. Yeah. And so, uh, one, just pray for physical endurance. I mean, there's a lot of limitations being a paraplegic, but so pray for that. And then just pray for my marriage. You know, I, I love being married, by the way. Guys, if you're not married yet, highly encourage it. Just... Read Proverbs 31, be like, all right, got my checklist, going to hunt her down. It's, it's great. It's great. So, yeah. Amen. We're, we're going to pray for you right now. Please. Lord, thank you for Madison. We thank you, Lord, for blessing us today with his presence. We thank you for his service to the nation, but more importantly, Lord, his love for you, and that, Lord, you're the one who called him to this, and where, where you guide, you provide. Lord, we pray for Christina, his wife. We pray for protection for them, continued health for Madison, and Lord... Uh, with that titanium spine you've given him, let him show the others how to stand. And Lord, let him not waver in that confidence. Uh, for if you're with him, Lord, no one and nothing can be against him. So we, we entrust him to you. We pray your protection upon him. And we thank you for him, Lord. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you, brother man. Thanks. Let's give it up for Madison Cawthorn. We're going to let him get uh, out there. He's done uh, three services, and uh, in between the last one, he had to kind of lay down. You don't, you don't know the limitations. It's tough, and he never lets it show. And he, the guy's always, I mean, he's not going to tell you, but he's always in pain. Um, and it's a, he's an amazing man. So we're blessed. I'm so grateful for all of you. And folks, listen, uh, right now, as we are here, uh, this, this church and these congregants are all facing the fight for their lives. Their, their jobs are on the line. They're going to lose their jobs. Some have already lost their jobs. Each of you is going to have your crucible. Now, you're either going to stand in unity with them or you're going to be silent, put your head down, and walk away from their struggle because you don't want them to come after you. Well, you know what? They're just going to eat you last. And if, if you've bowed your head and you've walked away from it and you're feeling convicted, we're not here to condemn you. I love what the scripture says. It, it, it says, forget what's behind. Strive for what is ahead. Take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. You don't have to fight for liberty. You're already free. Start living like you're free. Amen. That's it. You, you have the liberty. Now use it. Use it. Stand. And do not waver because God wants to use each and every one of you to set the captives free. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And so, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for blessing us. We thank you for the power of your word. And our hearts are full because your word does not return void. And, Lord, you've come that we would know that truth and that truth would set us free. I thank you for these men and women. I thank you for their faithfulness. I thank you for their tirelessness. And, Lord, that you've called them for such a time as this, that they are more than conquerors. They're not scared. And so, Lord, we ask your blessing upon them, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.